Life coach, is it a oxymoronic meme? Or perhaps maybe a philosophical prescription for the less cultivated? I mean, if we chat about life, we can chat about, you know, eukaryote, cell organisms, to a deity, a god. Life for many is at least, you know, known to most spirituality, uh, nihilistic, or rather a physicalist construct of labels that we humans, you know, anthropomorphize and render into meaning uh, through social civilization. So, Today on the podcast, I think that it's best that we discuss your specialty, life coaching. But usually, you know, it's chat about from a more uh, psychological edge. But today we're going to discuss it more from a perspective held in favor of virility, especially in the dominion of cocksmanship and mashima, as many know it as masculinity. So perhaps given modernity and how appeasing societal norms have seemingly emasculated the agenda for a lot of men today, we have a guess and he specializes in the endeavor to reinvigorate the flair for masculinity. So I introduce to you, Daniel Duvall. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. I'm uh, <laughs> excited to be here. <laughs> Quite an extensive uh, introduction for you, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't really do, do a lot of research on your page, but had to memorize a lot. But yeah. well, now. So let's start with biology. You know, we've got different bound entities, testosterone, genomics studying the human genome, how to explain, let's just say, the various components of the human body to distinguish, well, for most men, a utilitarian approach when it comes to, let's just say, objectives like physically building and repairing opposed to nurturing, fostering, emotional security, as women uh, stereotypically would be reported to do. So perhaps, let's just say, concepts like imperialism and proliferation of man, quote-unquote. What are your thoughts about maybe our primordial efforts to pass our genes and preserve our species, if that has anything to do with masculinity? Uh, in its original state of conception, because we don't necessarily always assume that masculinity started from us passing all genes. However, for most of it, uh, it did. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, actually, when you think mm -hmm. about, um, you know, the idea of male and female, I feel like has always kind of existed, but our current state of like masculinity and femininity, I feel like is a very recent thing in history. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is, you know, I think instinctually as humans, our, our goal is obviously to like be connected, to reproduce, to continue kind of evolving. Um, but I, for some reason, I feel like somewhere along the line, we, we decided that that wasn't enough. Um, mm -hmm. And we had to start kind of creating a hierarchy and um, yeah, almost like in order for us to evolve, we had to build up these constructs of power and mm -hmm. you know i think that's kind of where you see the ideas of masculinity really start evolving mm. yeah usually um when i think about masculinity i don't necessarily always think about uh one having you know a penis or testosterone i think for me i've never really uh i guess encapsulated much of that particular label only for me because i think growing up i've always tried to assume to be rational and have a great deal of moral perspicacity is uh, quite the rational thing to do, at least for human beings to treat each other properly, to at least have good standards, even that that is a, a subjective uh, label. But when it comes to acting or, you know, embodying a man, um, outside of, let's just say, you know, being attracted to a female, uh, genetically speaking, or at least biochemically speaking, um, I never really put too much emphasis on my actions to deliberate myself in order to be a man, though I've never really been, you know, uh, tossed into the blue collar uh, industry. So it's not like I really had to really 
I suppose, conform to what it meant to become a man. And I don't necessarily want to believe that you've got to use brute force or have some level of kind of, um, I guess they say, mashima when it comes to, you know, uh, wielding your power. But I suspect in the beginning, when it comes to the dynamics of your power, uh, it would make sense that obviously if men uh, genetically are built for particular things like uh, architecture and things like that, then surely enough, we had to label that something. Mm-hmm. Um, why isn't testosterone named estrogen opposed to estrogen naming testosterone? So these all labels we appointed to particular kind of, you know, uh, genetic inheritances we have, you know, acquired through uh, caveman times. So. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's, it's just crazy when you think about like, at some point, somebody decided to create this bucket of male traits and they kind of just like put all these traits in there and they went, Mm -hmm. this is what a man is. And then they did the same thing for women. And that it, that doesn't really work that way. Um, so in so many ways, you we are all acting in what we view these traits and this idea of what we think a man is and what we think a woman is when really it's a continuum. Um, you know, it's, I don't know if you know who um, the Olympic runner, Castor Semenya, who was actually banned from these past Olympics because oh. she was deemed to be too masculine and she had too much testosterone in her system, oh. you know? And it's like, how can you, how can you tell this woman who just biologically and naturally creates more testosterone that she can't compete as a woman when that's what she identifies as, you know? Yeah. It's a very uh, questionable fairy, especially um, when you're trying to make uh, the plane a uh, rather level for everyone. Um, though, like her and other outliners, they've got no choice. So I think maybe even with the Olympics, it's not necessarily about banning those who probably or just, you know, those who deviate from the norm. Though they've got to, I guess, counteract that with trying to be, uh, I guess, those who normalize everyone's, uh, or, he, or at least maybe a level of uh, social equality between, you know, all the competitors. Because let's just say if there was another individual with, uh, a great deal of uh, testosterone and they're both banned. Well, eventually, depending on how uh, evolutionarily, you know, the Olympics become or humans become, um, if more women start to have more testosterone, then that will definitely converge into a new perspective from the Olympics um, mm-hmm. thought process. And then eventually they may actually, you know, cave into that uh, particular aspect to start enabling uh, those genetic outliers. So it's not necessarily, I think for me, a bad thing um, she's just unlucky in a very uh, unique situation. Uh-huh. Uh, no, it's not a bad or good thing. I think she should really just embrace, you know, her abnormality mm-hmm. and probably, you know, convert that into something a bit more optimistic uh, in yeah, due time. No, sure. So speaking of that, um, that brought me to something that I was going to bring up later. But I suppose considering uh, your inquiry of all that, this is a bit of a tricky one. So. Yeah. Bit of a consensus, men would say that those who have been born with privilege are immune to its benefits. And let's say you were born with a different set of genetics that allowed you to be an offspring of a wealthy family, uh, perfect skin, bone structure, uh, epitome of the male appeal that women lust over. Everything that was bestowed to you was given her in the genetic lottery or, you know, uh, your pedigree. And I suppose how would masculinity fall in line for those who were born quite unappealing with a lower tier of genetics and strength and sex appeal addition in addition to let's just say um poor ambition lack of finances to compete with those like yourself would masculinity mean anything to you if you were in such a pristine position opposed to the latter given that virtually everything that you receive is due to your genetic pedigree 
not actually from your distinctive language between masculinity and its initial definition as cavemen have created for all species. I guess, yeah. in a, I guess in a nutshell, would it mean anything to be masculine given you won, you know, what I suppose Western culture would consider itself, you know, uh, yeah. the gift or the holy grail of the genetic lottery? Because you wouldn't necessarily have to, you know, engage and really deploy any form of masculinity if that's something that's already, I suppose, in some sense, physically bestowed upon you and you're kind of ex not exploiting it, but in some sense you are. So would masculinity mean anything then? Or be a masculine per se. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you think about it too. I'm kind of at the intersection of a lot of privilege, um, mm -hmm. identifying as a man and being white. You mm -hmm. know, I'm kind of, I am, I'm at that intersection of a lot of privilege. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I will never know what it's like to be a black man in the United States. I'll never know what it's like to be a woman. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, with that privilege comes a lot of power. And I feel like even among men, there's, there's a seemingly, there's a hierarchy system. Um, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting and thinking about myself growing up. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, for, for me growing up, and I think for a lot of men, the thing that you, you sacrifice almost immediately is connection to other men. Um, and I think a lot of that is that we we see weakness as a means to attack each other. Um, and a lot of it's very subtle. Um, but, you know, in so many ways, if we're if we're athletic, we're viewed in a higher esteem and we're higher up in the hierarchy. Um, and then if you're not athletic, you want to be smart and then you view that in high esteem. But then, like, I mean, I you think about professional athletes, um, they're kind of pigeonholed and they're put into the spot of, like, they're just super athletic. They're not really that smart. And then you have somebody um, like a Richard Sherman, who is an NFL player and mm -hmm. Stanford, like, just brilliant dude. Mm -hmm. But he gets, like, knocked down for that constantly because people can't identify with how can he be smart and super athletic. You know, it's kind of like, we can't be all of these facets. We have to kind of identify and label ourselves. Um, and that's really what masculinity is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so hard because I, you know, I'm, I was, I guess I wouldn't say fortunate, but, you know, like I was born a white male. Um, you know, that is totally by chance that I happen to be who I am, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so it, you know, it comes to that point where sometimes I think to myself, like, would I feel this way if I was a black man, you know, would, so that for me gives me a different perspective sometimes when I'm thinking about issues and opinions, like, you know, what if, you know, I, I wasn't born who I am and I was born somebody different, would I have the same opinion? Um, and it's just, for me, it's something that I reflect on a lot when I make decisions and looking at my beliefs. Yeah, usually I, always wrote back uh, to bodybuilding because that's where my origins were. And I always think about certain things regarding, uh, I guess, the common uh, individual. Somebody once said that um, if you ever went to a theme park and look at everyone's, uh, I guess, musculature or perhaps, you know, uh, the body image, what do they absolutely look like? And I've never really thought too much about that until I really had to sit down and look at people at a theme park. And I was thinking, okay, how many people here are actually, you know, those who embody or at least 
uh, encompass a great deal of you know, bodybuilding traits or fitness enthusiastic traits. And probably maybe under 10% may scratch the surface as at least in my community that will be considered fit. And as they say, a fish isn't always acknowledged that this woman in water. And for a long time, um, it can be quite devastating uh, to one's esteem, given that not that one could be picky or one could be heavily judgmental, even though that's a very a practical thing to do. Um, I always have forgotten that, sure, you know, when you do kind of uh, propel yourself into a community of people that, whether it's niche or not, um, most people, especially when it comes to masculinity, um, may not necessarily always uh, share that perspective. And I, I don't want to say fortunately or unfortunately, didn't grow up around a lot of men. And I think one of my gifts and curses were to, I guess I've always told people uh, from back then, uh, I've always wanted to be, not necessarily like you mentioned about Richard Sherman, but I've always wanted to be, you know, the anomaly, uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily the prior, but somebody who actually can embody uh, looks and smarts. And I've noticed that's been not necessarily a backlash, but as you mentioned, it's difficult to straddle that fence is because I enjoy both sides. But because I haven't really dealt with, I think, a lot of the traumatic or at least post-traumatic experiences most people have dealt with in trying to embody maybe their average genetics, like you mentioned, maybe I've been privileged in ways where I didn't acknowledge that over time. And now growing up, realizing that, okay, well, sure, you know, you can get away with a lot of things because perhaps of your image or perhaps of your academic, you know, uh, allocution. But most of us, whether it's unfortunate or fortunate, were born, not necessarily average, but I guess according to Western uh, standards, uh, whether it's lurks or whether it's, you know, uh, middle class, low class, they were basically stratified into ways where you guys kind of won and we didn't. So we had to kind of make up, as you mentioned, uh, the path of least resistance. You know, those who typically are very attractive normally don't necessarily exceed uh, intelligence, vice versa. Um, and I think that is more of a Western, you know, uh, I wouldn't say propaganda, but it does seem to kind of emulate that stature. I mean, w- would you disagree or agree with not necessarily, you know, uh, rubbernecking uh, the progress of that? But I do think like, unfortunately, we are kind of maybe not necessarily consciously exploiting our own traits, but I do think that in the West, it's almost as if, if you just so happen to be a part of this standard, great. If not, then you've got to work harder. And sure, you know, um, you can work as hard as you can and become a millionaire, that's great. But sure, if you've born into a rich family, well, there you go. Um, And I guess at the end of the day, you've just got to kind of realize and embrace, you know, your thoughts and your negative, you know, uh, traits, if there's any that you can really... Um, tackle for yourself no for sure I mean mm-hmm. it, you know it is it's just crazy when you think about um I think especially in western culture in the United States in particular there's this like comparison epidemic um and I think social media has exacerbated that so much mm-hmm. uh, you know because it is you I think there's so many like I know for me like you know I'm not out of shape, but I'm not in great shape either. And there are times that like, you know, I work out, I don't eat the best, which like prevents that. But there are times that like, like this week I'm at the beach, um, you know, I'm down at the beach and I'm thinking to myself like, okay, like comparatively to most of the guys around here, I look great. And then this group of like college kids comes down and they're all in great shape. And then I'm like, great. Now I feel fat. Um, 
you know, and it's just like a comparison thing. Um, and I think what tends to happen is, especially now with social media, those internal thoughts that I'm having get written or posted about other people um, in ways to essentially try to knock them down to raise myself up, but it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I think we, we want to think that it works that way, but, you know, me not being happy with who I am and trying to demean somebody else is not going to make me happy at the end of the day. Um, yeah. you know? that, that brings me to, uh, uh, I guess, a point I never thought of. Well, I was thinking about, but I'll bring it up now a bit. It seems like much of the modern man or the modern uh, homo sapiens sapien is really trying to not necessarily uh, go against the grain with evolution. But I think a lot of people would probably assume that, again, when it comes to females or males and our presumed or our pseudo biological you know, uh, disposition, I suppose we were destined for a particular type of agenda. And I think that no matter how many times we try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to what we're establishing, you know, given based off of human ecology and culture um, and art of humanities, those are things that are, I suppose, flickering or I suppose gleaming uh, rather hard, you know, in the hearts of our aesthetic appeal, but at the heart of hearts, in some sense, we're still mammalian, we're still animals. And I think that maybe someone postulate that, given the neuroscience of how we originate from um, and what were our agenda, or what was our agenda back then, no matter what we do or how much we try to intellectualize maybe our current life, we're still not necessarily cavemen at heart, but in a lot of ways, maybe we are trying to fight against the grain when it comes to what our purpose is. And if we are, presumably here to procreate monogamy obviously wouldn't be natural um money itself is an implement though that's more of a bargaining tool um social status and everything when it comes to who's king or who's not king perhaps when it comes to survival is that the ultimate or at least quintessentially the point of what all of our actions um seems really uh are putting forth because it seems like regardless of the trichotomy between status, money, or class, um, I suppose we're all trying to survive. And I suppose that's what our ancestors did. And no matter how many, you know, uh, symbolic references that we, you know, uh, claim refuge to, when we deities, we toss up in the sky, no matter how many, uh, or how much folklore we share with each other. In some sense, it's all enabling us to aid each other in survival. Um, is that something you think that not we're trying to avoid, but we're trying to mask all, you know, against maybe the reality of what we're actually doing when it comes to all looks, quote unquote, passing off better genes, strength, um, or we essentially just passing off better genes in various ways that our ancestors did. And this is just our, I suppose, our methodology of doing it, whether we call it high class, middle class, um, whether, whether, I suppose, whether we believe that this, uh, not necessarily a superiority complex when it comes to race or ethnicity issues, but in some sense, I believe that maybe we're still all trying to assume that we're more, and yeah, we may have a larger, you know, prefrontal cortex given the development of the skull and brain over time. Mm -hmm. um, however, 
we're still trying to emulate, or at least unconsciously or subconsciously emulate what our ancestors did, pass off the greatest genes to the greatest humans so our species uh, remain prosperous. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about just, we, over the course of history, um, mm -hmm. when we feel like there are groups of people that have threatened us, they always kind of turn back to biology for some reason. Um, you know, it was like when they were trying to rationalize slavery, it was because, oh, well, the African-Americans biologically are weaker. Like, that's why mm -hmm. this is happening. Like, they can't learn. It's, it's a biological thing. Um, and then you go into, like, women's rights and with women, and they were talking about, like, oh, you know, biologically speaking, women just can't learn the same. Like, their brains are just meant to be at home, you know? And so we try to rationalize things using biology, which is totally false science mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but it's just, it is, it's crazy when you think about how we try to twist things to almost fit to what we want it to be. Um, and a lot of that comes down to power, unfortunately. Um, you know, and that's, yeah, like, as you were just talking, I was just thinking about, like, we as human beings, you know, over the course of the thousands of years that we have existed, our motivations essentially have remained the same. Uh -huh. uh, you know, we, we want to survive, we want to connect, um, and we want to build a legacy and like have a future for our families and our people. Um, but things over time, you know, we're not cavemen anymore. We don't need to worry about like a saber toothed tiger coming and attacking us or a neighboring tribe. Like that stuff is not as prevalent, but we still have those kind of fears pop up for us. They're just new and they're different fears. Um, yeah, I'm like- I suspect it's probably um, easier to really kind of fall back and uh, pull up those, I guess, genetic uh, memories only because I suppose maybe not necessarily what in fear of saber-toothed tigers, but I do think that maybe it's instinctual and, and I suppose it's innately, you know, ingrained in us. And I think maybe unknowingly or unbeknownst to us, it comes out, even when it comes to domestic violence or perhaps uh, crime or, you know, uh, quick uh, and very sporadic, you know, uh, emotional outbursts. Um, it could be not a Freudian slip, as they say, but it could just be aspects of uh, ancestral human dialogue that, you know, we emote. And I suppose it's something that is definitely difficult to discipline if you're not aware of it. Um, I suppose mm -hmm. if you do strip man or woman of all its bare necessities and toss them to the woods, what do they become? Um, if you do grow up or raise a child, let's just say, in the woods off the grid, you never tell them anything about, you know, society in the way it is, you don't tell them the year, you don't tell them the date, you don't show them anything about what technology has, uh, you know, uh, nascently became, you know, prevalent for today. And all they know is the woods. Eventually, let's just say the parents die, they escape the woods at 21, they get out there. Um, how will they act towards normal society? Perhaps like an animal. And that's kind of what um, a lot yeah. of the behavioralists, um, I think Ivan Pavlov and uh, I think it was even B.F. Skinner, uh, thought about when it comes to uh, con classic conditioning. And essentially, that's kind of how humans are. Um, and I suppose perhaps some of it is true, 
However, considering we have millions of synapses that goes on in our brain and, you know, it's difficult to really ascertain what's easy to control in a human. Um, but that brings me to our next topic, um, the urge for sex. And it appears that it's, it appears to be more rigid than seemingly when trying to detach oneself from such acts of like rape or overtly scandalous acts of sexual harassment. I mean, I've never personally grew up enslaved to just the impulse or the need for sex, but given this is a presumptuous symbolic refuge for the masculinity, for the masculine um, identity, um, why do you think it's so difficult to repress such acts more moral compunction and have our genes really become that elusive to mandate our civil and controlled nature around women or our desire for sexual pleasure? Is it that difficult to not necessarily not rape or not desire sex, but is the urge itself that overwhelmingly uh, natural for one to just attack women or embrace it in such a manner like that? For most men, I suppose. Or maybe yeah. there's something I don't know too much about when it comes to that urge. Not to say I don't get the urge, but maybe I was born privileged to know that maybe not that it would come easy, but maybe I'm not one who was driven to not experience it. But I suppose, as most men would probably uh, be in and, and uh, concur with, is that I suppose, depending on where you live or how you live, um, you know, obviously, if you're a very attractive woman and all the men come after you in high school or whatnot, maybe you're not really truly, uh, I suppose, in one position to be. Uh, in the opposition of dealing with those who are less attractive and a woman that have never experienced any kind of attention. And maybe when it does come over time and the roles reverse, maybe the one who wants to get into attention, you know, uh, gets high off that uh, in a very oxytocin and dopamine way. Um, I'm not saying that's the same thing that happens with men, but I do always find it intriguing how certain things in other countries or even in our country in the West where not even rape being not... Uh, well, technically rape is natural in the in animal kingdom, but that's with, I would assume, lower cognitive applications when it comes to animals. Um, I don't think they've got religion. I don't think they've got morality. I don't think they've got really, I wouldn't say a government, but I don't think they really have such uh, sophisticated mindsets to really understand what's wrong and what's right. That's more of, you know, philosophical conjectures that we kind of propose to humans. Uh, but what is up with the urge that people like men even women cannot simply just refuse to commit, if not, you know, consensual. That's actually a really interesting idea and just topic to discuss anyway, just because, mm -hmm. you know, there, it's unfortunate, but I feel like, um, you know, sexual assault, rape, um, you know, is a common it's a common thing right now that's being discussed. And I think that women report it more often than men do. Um, and from the studies, like I just read something that it's like one in four women will be victims to sexual assault before they're 18. Um, and it was something like one in six men will experience sexual assault before they're 18. And those are only the ones that are reported you know, and now think about all of the cases that are not reported um, mm -hmm. and men are significantly less likely to discuss that because of the fact that that is such an emotionally vulnerable experience to have gone through. And again, the thing that most men lack 
especially at a young age is connection and who are they going to tell? Um, you know, and so I think that there's all this trauma around that anyway. And for a lot of men, you know, I think sexual assault rape is about power. Um, mm. You know, and you think about it like in the workplace and the, the amount of sexual assault cases that are coming out in the media over the past few years, you know, why are they doing it? You know, um, I think at the end of the day, a lot of it is it's about power and showing control over something. Um, and whether that's because they lack control in some other area of their life and they need to compensate, um, you know, I don't really know too much about that, but it is crazy to me. And that's, uh, you know, uh, highly, uh, I suppose, disturbing part too when it comes to control. And, you know, uh, though I've been slightly edified by others when it comes to that dealing with relationships, but I never thought too much about why I would need to control anyone. Um, maybe I'm someone who definitely, you know, flies off the grid when it comes to that level of, I suppose, power. But I never really thought too much about why would I want to have that much control and power over anyone and how would it benefit me just to know that I can walk tell someone what to do or have someone, you know, uh, go grab me, you know, uh, some food to bring it back. Um, and I'm sure in some, you know, minuscule fashion, it feels great to know you can do it. Um, but maybe, like you say, maybe I've underestimated, you know, uh, the level of uh, resolution one views from life, from their past. And I suppose if it is that low, maybe, you know, I have never been subjected to such uh, a denigrated lifestyle where such you know power is necessary and maybe there's a lot of people who probably feel that that is the only way out um and i guess yeah i don't want to say it goes back to the purpose of uh let me let me revert i don't want to say it goes back to our mission to survive i don't think that's anything to do with surviving maybe um depending on you know uh, the pathology of the individual but I suppose in some sense, um, I don't want to blame it on, you know, uh, on genealogy. I don't suspect that our genes are not elusively controlled. I do think that perhaps if it isn't necessarily, I wouldn't say taught in school, but perhaps maybe we don't necessarily, well, okay, let me just say that maybe men aren't, well, okay, consider we live in a patriarchy as many would, I guess, you know, uh, yeah. In a very, you know, uh, consensus fashion, most would assume we do. So I suppose if you're a man, then it will be appropriate for one to understand that no matter what you do and you play along, then in some sense, I wouldn't say that it's normal for you to commit such acts like rape or sexual assault, but it is only real two species on the planet, or well, at least, you know, given, you know, our, our, our genealogy, which is, you know, male and female. So it's not like we have to really own up to anyone else or answer to anyone else when it comes to those assaults. Um, if we go to court, obviously there's male and females, um, and we are different, you know, definitely dealing with different cultures and ideologies. Um, so, and I guess in some sense, it is a very uh, nefarious way to get by as a male. Um, and maybe with control comes power. And again, um, maybe that is, as you stated, and as I mentioned, the essence of survivability. Um, the more power, the more control, not necessarily the more, you know, years you put on your life, but I suppose in some sense, before you do die, you can acknowledge what it feels like to have such. And if nature has bestowed upon you this biology that has made you stronger, faster, 
uh, in some sense, more befitting to be more destructive and use more brownish efforts to control the, I wouldn't say opposition, but, mm -hmm. you know, as someone considered opposition, but females, all they can say is, well, this is how biology made us. I yeah. cannot argue that. Sure, but I guess that's where, you know, moral compunction and civilization should come into play, but that's even questionable because, um, again, we don't really have a particular purpose <laughs> while we're here. And that's probably the issues because the more, and I guess that's why some would convert to religion, I suppose, whether or not they truly believe in it. Um, and I guess it's some way to add some level of control over the actions. Um, so what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. yeah. So I'm not really uh, too sure on um, not the benefit of control, but what exactly it does for you in the end, outside of, you know, your 15 minutes of gratification. Um, and that's what I mentioned about the urge. Um, even if you had an urge to rape somebody in this and that, or to perhaps, you know, carry your sexual uh, or prurient nature, um, can you not stop that? Or is that, or do you think that many men on earth have been through such an uh, unrelenting effort of not having anyone? And this is the only way out. Is it that many men out there going through that? And maybe I'm just not aware. No, I don't think so. But that's like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was just thinking about how I, I don't know if some aspect of it is like the dehumanization of people, um, hmm. you know, and not fully seeing them as a human um, and knowing that you physically can dominate somebody. Um, you know, I, again, like I go back to like masculinity and like, I think that's part of it too, is like in the hierarchy of manliness, you know, some of that is dominance um, over each other, whether that's physically, I mean, I, I don't know what you think about this, but like, um, I find that from what I've been reading and research that most men work out for other men, it's to show dominance over another man. Um, it's, it's really funny, like when you ask, um, they've done polls that have asked women, like, what kind of physical body do you prefer? And most mm -hmm. of them don't, they don't want the like super mm -hmm. jacked guy, but mm -hmm. that's what guys think they want. And then you ask men what they want and they don't want the bikini models, but that's what women think they want. So we think that the opposite gender or whatever it is, like they want something that, they don't actually want it's what we think they want um and when you go back to what you were talking about rape and stuff it's kind of like why why is there that urge to dominate somebody when you know like where where does that come from is that a past trauma is that somebody that's been a victim of sexual assault before um you know it kind of goes back to the nature versus nurture kind of conversation too um, because I'm, I'm guessing that there are plenty of people that were ra like raised in broken homes, um, and have experienced sexual assault that don't have that urge. Um, yeah. I'm like, I feel like that brings up so many interesting discussions. <laughs> no, um, especially, uh, for those who, well, if we were to discuss perhaps, I think it's, I would say two different ontological aspects of it, dealing with, you know, what is, and if we're chatting about, let's just say the nature of sex appeal, um, I think if we want to disclose it from a cultural standpoint, 
Um, sure, if you were to consider novels back in the day that had more Fabio types in the musculature that was displayed, I think that was more fantasized and not necessarily yeah. what was seen in real life. And I think over time, things became, I suppose, augmented. And even with women who have the Kim K look, um, that's something I think it's more of a generational uh, augmentation. Yes. And even now, I do think a lot of it is because we have realism uh, versus, you know, practicality. And again, with the theme park uh, example, sure, you know, if you go to Disneyland or Universal Studios, yeah, 90% of people will look probably average. Um, yep. No matter how long you're there. Um, though, yes, if you went to a fit expo, everyone there is basically a Greek god. Well, this is a fit expo, so they will be there. But it's not like when you leave into the real world, this is going to uh, basically what you see. So part of it is just, I think, a bit of a cultural disdain for the expectations. Because mm -hmm. as you mentioned, fortunately, uh, some people have genetically been I suppose, you know, enhanced where they just happen to have predilection for lifting weights and build muscle quickly. Mm -hmm. um, if other people have not, and they just didn't necessarily have or win that genetic lottery trait, well, as some would say, it's too bad for them. And then you've got those that would say that, well, you know, again, if I was born into a family full of wealth, um, you just happen to have been born into a family um, in Syria and they exploding bombs everywhere, too bad for you. And that's nothing we can really change um, but from a more, I suppose, realistic standpoint, um, I do think that I wouldn't say masculinity is not needed, but I think we need to kind of maybe change the particular moniker for that. Not necessarily masculinity, but always tell people, you know, you just want to be a very rational uh, and I suppose uh, civilized being. And I think regardless of all sexual urges, um, which I think can be controlled, like you mentioned, I do think it deals with a great deal of dehumanization. And um, until we start to start viewing each other as shopping cart items, um, which is difficult just because technology has advanced uh, our cognitive mental applications, you know, quite heavily, where that's kind of how we view each other. Um, we may always find ourselves, you know, in the aisle swiping between each other and not necessarily understanding that these are actual biological organisms walking around uh, mm -hmm. and not actual toys to play with. Yeah. Um, over time, you know, we may actually convert back. It's difficult because, you know, however, I suppose, theoretically, we've acquired, you know, fiber optics and other things, <laughs> Roswell, yeah. quote unquote. Um, however, we acquire this, you know, uh, technological advancement age. Um, soon enough, perhaps in due time, we'll kind of, you know, uh, become a bit more sanguine with our approach to how we treat each other. Um, perhaps as like a father, not me, perhaps. I'm not a father yet. Um, could the, well, could the understanding of masculinity be more advantageous in the past ever, given that since these technological advances pulls everyone to a similar speed, for example, you know, AGI, uh, artificial general intelligence uh, devices that cling on to our thoughts, like our phones, what would children benefit from if they label themselves masculinity, if it was only a relic that imposed a statue of power and strength back then, but in a world now where accessibility is at the swipe of our funds, are they supposed to reinstate an archaic principle or perhaps embrace modern changes in the dawn of such a generation we live in? What would you suggest we should do or do both and have them 
select. <laughs> That's that, honestly, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that is in a nutshell what my my purpose and my big why for what I'm doing is, mm-hmm. you know, I want I want my two sons to grow up in a world where they can they can just be themselves, you know, they can they can be emotional, they can be loving, they they can be super into sports, like, you know, they can like fashion, they can like all these things because that's just who they are, you know, yeah. and not be ashamed of that. And I feel like that's something I think it's getting better generation after generation. I think that we're we're kind of growing to be more open and kind of viewing people more in a continuum and you know i i grew up playing volleyball which is a predominantly female sport Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know most of my friends growing up that were in the volleyball world were girls because that's just Mm -hmm. where i grew up that's what it was and it was i just think about it sometimes like in high school i was called gay multiple times uh, Mm -hmm. for playing this sport and it's like why like that makes absolutely no sense um and you know even now like i'm an emotional person Mm -hmm. Uh, i find that being emotional is usually targeted at women and it's and it's viewed as a negative like oh like that woman's just hyper emotional um you know like hormonally uh they do uh have a great deal of you know not just hormones wise but uh neurology states that you know they have a great deal of I suppose, emotional triggers that do allow them to kind of uh, not exploit that, but export a great deal of what one would consider more feminine, which I wouldn't say men don't have that same capability. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why a lot of women presume they feel they need a leader, because if they are acknowledging, you know, these, I suppose, emotional deficits when it comes to that level of control, who else to help control that but the opposite species? which would be the man, which in some sense genetically would be more quote unquote stereotypically brawny or more, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, barbaric enough to handle that. And I think that's where the dichotomy becomes a bit more problematic is because mm-hmm. maybe perhaps like yourself, you're not or wasn't raised up in that stereotype. So I think that yeah, the generalization of men has to be somewhat bifurcated because if not, a lot of women may assume that's all a male's purpose is for. And surely enough, yeah, even for yourself, you're still stronger um, than most women. Um, you probably still have, if not most, you know, women have a lot more testosterone. So sure, in some sense, you will always um, overplay or overextend uh, that level of uh, mm-hmm. genealogy. But I think maybe because women grew up assuming that's what men were for. I guess as men would say, women were for the home and for sex. And not to say they weren't back then. However, each sex I don't think really operated or at least magnified each other's uh, deficiencies. And I think that's probably, as you mentioned, what's going on now. And even if women cannot build bridges, um, they could have a more perceived perception in dealing with, you know, what contradicts what modern man will seemingly have, which is masculinity. Because if, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, if yourself or whomever uh, didn't grow up in such a very high masculine, high uh, uh, marshmallow, you know, particular type of setting, then 
how does that make you applicable for those who have just because you happen to be born, you know, genetically a male, uh, given the label we placed on males. So it's not your fault or their fault. They just happen to have been born mm-hmm. in a very, you know, uh, uh, environment that dealt with a lot of uh, scarcity and violent nature. So um, I do think that hopefully, like you mentioned over time, generations will change and um, realize that, you know, uh, sure, maybe it's easy for us to kind of revert back to our genes and say that this is what we're destined for or predestined for, maybe. However, you know, we do have enough neurons in us that <laughs> we can all admit that. Uh, but it's difficult. It's, it's, it's just like trying to be celibate around, you know, uh, half-naked women all day and looking for the one. Um, unless you d- discipline yourself immensely, um, it's difficult, especially if you don't have uh, the social support for that. Um, if you, you know, if you're flying underneath the radar and the social stigma becomes, you know, quite uh, a very uh, repugnant smell, you don't necessarily want that on you. And like you mentioned, it's all about support and acceptance and Mm-hmm. Um, those are the difficulties of quote unquote being masculine, um, which isn't a bad a good thing. But I, I suppose that's why you've got to probably, I don't know if you want to, but have you thought about possibly what type of men you would want uh, your sons to be? Because some can say athletic um, or artsy um, or construction workers. And then you got to think about possibly, you know, the culmination of communities that come along with that. Um, is a skateboarder a man? Is a painter a man? Mm-hmm. Um, is a veterinarian a man? Um, and those things, I think, are very, I suppose, diminutive uh, in one aspect, but we don't think that there are men who work as, I wouldn't say, you know, uh, veterinarians or, you know, um, jobs that wouldn't even really be feminine, but jobs that wouldn't necessarily be masculine either. So have you considered what type of male figure you think they would uphold in the future? Or is that something you think that they would have to discover on their own? I think that's something they'll have to discover on their own, you know, kind of like what resonates with you. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like when you were just talking, I was thinking about, um, I, that that question that we ask young kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? When, mm-hmm. when we ask people that, what are we really asking? We're asking, what job do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, but when you think about what you actually are asking, what do you want to be? Well, like, I want my kids to be good people. I don't care what they do. I, I want my boys to be good people. Like, that for me, like, that would be success. If my kids can grow up, they can be kind, they're empathetic, mm-hmm. you know, they're family-oriented. These traits that I value that to me is what I want them to be. What will they do? I don't care. You know, I really, I could care less what they do. I just want them to be happy. I want them to be good people. Um, and I want that for myself now. You know, I, I feel like I, in many ways, am going kind of against the grain of masculinity in many ways. You know, I'm I'm a stay-at-home dad right now, starting my own business, and um, my wife has always made more money than me, and so in many ways, when you look at that, like, that for men is an attack on their power and their control, Um, and I struggled with that at the beginning, you know, when I found out how much money my wife was making, I was like, oh my god, that's like, 
double what I'm getting paid. And that's but she, but she still selected you out of yep. the men who made money more money than them. Yeah. And I think it's because at the end of the day, I think she realized that like I'm just a good person. You know, I'm kind, I treat her well, like mm-hmm. I care about people. And I think at the end of the day, that is more valuable than the money is. You know, obviously money is is great. Um, but you can ask the wealthiest people in the world. Money again can't buy you happiness. You know, have committed suicide, which is yeah, unexplainable. Say for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I. It's taken a lot of work and a lot of reflection to be comfortable with where I am and, you know, my situation. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. I feel like I've gained so much knowledge about myself and understanding of what I really value. And I've had to unlearn a lot of things um, and really examine like where my beliefs came from. Cause most of my mm-hmm. seeming beliefs that I've had, I've realized are not mine. They're beliefs that I either got from my parents mm-hmm. or from church or from school or society, but I don't agree with them. But, you know, trying to examine and sit down with like, why do I believe this? How long have I believed this is hard. It's, it's difficult emotional work. No, and that's why I tell people you've got to not necessarily choose a side, but because uh, I've noticed over time, even with myself, um, being uh, quite an outcast. Um, but I'm, you know, even if me being aware of such uh, the label, um, over time, I tell people you've got to pick a side where you've got to select the community that you appeal to, and be aware that whatever you do, whatever level of you know benevolence you're uh, offering to the world um surely enough this community who may not like that whether you're you know uh, promoting uh those who shouldn't kill dolphins whether you're trying to advocate for you know uh the depravity of those who have exploited uh fertile countries uh, the reality is surely enough not everyone is going to like you and you've got to pick a community that will and it's difficult is because mm-hmm. depending on what you know generation uh, i think you and i are probably i wouldn't say late millennials <laughs> uh right. probably late millennials yeah, yeah. um <laughs> not baby boomers obviously um but depending on what you know generation you grew up in um some now can say that the gen z or the gen y uh are being i wouldn't say too politically correct but they're being a little bit too uh coddled and a little bit too fast for their steam and much of it is kind of praised too highly and everyone wants to be a winner uh but hey they're growing up with you know uh iphones where we barely had you know uh text messages that can go beyond 11 characters right so um <laughs> we just you know but the luck of the draw of all you know our conception we happen to have been in a generation where we had to go outside um mm-hmm. they didn't so uh in some sense you just got to pick a side um and try not to always be heavily impartial about you know uh, your morality and integrity because i think a lot of people get caught up in especially when it comes to being masculine um and though i've been aware of why most men i don't chat to or have spoken to in the gym or don't chat to me no more i'm aware of it you know a lot of them are very chauvinistic when it comes to the male ego mm-hmm. a lot of them are philanderers a lot of them just they are they have acknowledged what the reality of how women are great you know how to exploit women you know how to catch them you know in a very vulnerable position and you know how to basically 
you know, uh, manipulation. Cool. However, if you can continually still look in the mirror and believe this is the correct and proper thing to do to a human being, obviously that's to me not a masculine trait. But I think if we're chatting about maybe the origins of masculinity and we're chatting about medieval times or back then where maybe spreading all sea to the next city or the next region or the next locality was a part of spreading all power, I suppose, sure, kings were out there, you know, pillaging uh, and raping or Mm-hmm. messing around because obviously they had to kind of exert and expand or aggrandize a great deal of their power. Sure, I guess in that generation, this isn't that generation. So maybe that's the easy way out. And yeah, maybe certain females or females in general have a bit of a, I suppose, bug in their firmware when it comes to emotional output. And maybe that's something a lot of guys know. But it is up to us, I think, to realize that, sure, you know, um, like I've mentioned to someone before, if I gave you my credit card and told you it was a million dollars on it and not to spend it, you should not say, well, why would you give it to me in the first place um, after spending it? Well, I would always say, why would you want to spend it if I said not spend it? Mm-hmm. Even if you knew there was money on that. And I guess that urge to exploit, some can say it's just a natural aspect of you know, uh, our genealogy. And mm-hmm. perhaps so, if we are thinking about survivability, maybe if I do just use money that he's not going to use, I can survive longer or better in this way, whether it's fashion, whether it's, you know, uh, nutrition, uh, mm-hmm. or whether it's finances, maybe I can survive better. He shouldn't have, quote unquote, let down his guard. Um, yeah. And, you know, it is an ostensible theory when it comes to maybe what our ancestors did maybe if you didn't have you know the biggest stick of the strongest sword too bad i need to survive um and that's difficult to really argue against this because as you mentioned our end goal is to survive and even if we don't know what the hell happens after we die um and it's been millions of years well not millions but thousands of years um that we've actually you know engaged in uh you know, uh, first AD archaic war. Um, I guess conclusively, why do you think those genes are so hard to wear off? Is it really the genes? Or do you think it's not necessarily a higher power, but do you think that there's a certain purpose that is the undercurrent of our actions? Because we can say that there's a lot of intellectual people who believe uh, in a deity and there's a lot of very dull dim-witted people who are great at you know being a survivalist that can outlast and out-survive the intellectuals so yeah. what is actually you think more important that we're not acknowledging at the end of the day as a human species masculinity or femininity hmm. because we can chat yeah. about we, we can chat about purpose and ambition careers and jobs but those are all constructs we created that yeah in the natural world when it comes to animals rocks mountains trees and leaves it means nothing if yeah. we left if we all perished as human species and left money dollar bills all over the place and it was just animals and the earth you know a lot of that is just tree fibers <laughs> and lead imprinted on you know yeah. quote, paper um they wouldn't care they would probably eat it they would probably bury it they would probably toss it in the ocean yeah. it would mean nothing to them yeah um so i suppose what would be 
uh, I suppose, the presumed agenda for what exactly we are doing and why we're doing, whether it's exploiting, whether it's trying to diversify, you know, our acknowledgement or intellectualize, you know, our ego. Uh, what is, you think, the end goal or the end game for us outside of survivability? Or is that just it, to survive by any means, by any label, by any discrimination? Um, your thoughts? God, I, I hope our goal is not just to survive. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really, yeah, I really just, I, I hope that that's not people's goal. Um, you know, for me, I feel like a lot of what people really strive to do, at least for me, is like to leave, to leave a legacy. Like I want to leave, I want to leave the world a better place. And I think for a lot of people, they, they lose sight of that almost by what you were just talking about, like the physical, the physical parts of the world that they're not going to be able to take with them. So like, what really are you leaving behind? You know, at the end of your life, if you were to leave your family money, but you were an awful person, you know, does that money even really matter? Like, um, you know, for me, it's, it's like, what, what are people going to say about me after I'm gone? Like, what, what am I leaving behind? Hopefully I'm leaving the world a better place. Um, you know, and I think for the most part, at the end of the day, if you were to really ask people to be honest, what do they want out of life? They want connection. Like, mm-hmm. they want to have relationships. They want to be happy. They want to have those moments that they can share with people. Um, you know, I think one of the saddest things in the world is to not have someone to share with. Um, and that really, for me, like at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's what we need as people. We need connection, mm-hmm. we need relationships, we need to, to build that. And if you don't have it biologically, you create it on your own. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. man. Quite touching. Bit of a very melodramatic ending, right? <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I suppose, you know, uh, emotions are rather normal. It's not a masculine or feminine yeah. you know, attribute. It is something that we all calculate quite heavily when we contemplate about life or have any kind of existential, you know, thoughts. Um, yeah. Daniel, it has been great having you on the podcast. People would love to know your handle on IG if you tell them. Uh, yeah, it's actually mindful size. So mindful and then size C I Z E. So kind of like mindful exercise. Oh. Um, was my concept behind it. Um, so yeah, I would love to see people on Instagram, definitely trying to build this up. I'd love to just kind of start conversations, um, particularly with guys and creating this kind of open, vulnerable space for people to just share their truth. Indeed. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll have you on again. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you.